The Daily 202's Big Idea is supported by Battelle. For 90 years, the employees of Battelle have solved the world's most challenging problems, finding solutions and really big ideas. At Battelle, it can be done. Learn more at battelle.org 90. Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Tuesday, September 3rd. In today's news... Hurricane Dorian is the strongest storm to ever hit the Bahamas. At least 25 people are now confirmed dead and nine others remain missing after a boat fire off the coast of California. And the gunman who killed seven people in a Texas rampage on Sunday had been fired from his job earlier that day. But first, the big idea. House Democrats plan to make President Trump's alleged involvement in a 2016 scheme to silence two women who claimed they had affairs with him a major investigative focus this fall, picking up where federal prosecutors left off in a case legal experts say could have led to additional indictments. The House Judiciary Committee is preparing to hold hearings and call witnesses involved in the hush money payments that went to ex-Playboy model Karen McDougal and adult film star Stormy Daniels as soon as early October. Inside sources tell my colleagues Tom Hamburger and Rachel Bade that they believe there's already enough evidence to name Trump as a co-conspirator in the episode that resulted in his former attorney Michael Cohen pleading guilty to two campaign finance charges. Cohen, who's serving a three-year prison sentence for those counts and other crimes, testified under oath earlier this year that Trump directed the payments that helped land him behind bars. Federal prosecutors in Manhattan described Trump's alleged role in the scheme, referring to him in court papers as Individual One. But then they concluded their investigation this summer without bringing any additional charges. The hush money inquiry will open a new chapter in the House's months-long consideration of whether to draft articles of impeachment against this president. More than 130 House Democrats have now called for an official impeachment inquiry to begin, although Speaker Nancy Pelosi continues to caution that trying to remove Trump would not work because it wouldn't happen in the Senate and it would be divisive and politically risky. The new congressional inquiry will reopen questions about the extent of Trump's involvement in the episode and whether he would have been charged if not for Justice Department opinions that say a sitting president cannot be indicted. Now, Trump, his aides and his attorneys have made contradictory statements about the president's knowledge of these payments, but his lawyers have repeatedly denied that Trump committed any wrongdoing. As part of the probe that they're about to begin, Democrats plan to explore whether the investigation was stymied or obstructed in any way. The Judiciary Committee is also considering as a potential witness David Pecker, the chairman and CEO of American Media, Inc., the parent company of the National Enquirer, which admitted making the payment to McDougal. AMI complied with the document requests that Democrats made earlier this year. They turned over all the communications that they had previously turned over to federal law enforcement before they got a plea deal. It remains to be seen how far congressional Democrats will be able to get in this inquiry. So far, Trump and his administration have succeeded in blocking many of the House oversight investigations, refusing to provide information and challenging subpoenas in court. When the House returns to session next week after its summer recess, the Judiciary Panel plans to continue focusing on five of the ten episodes of potential obstruction of justice by the president that were outlined in special counsel Bob Mueller's report that came out this spring. Democrats have argued that Trump would have been charged with obstruction in those five instances were he not president. They say the hush money payments represent a sixth instance of potentially impeachable presidential misbehavior. And that's 
the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar as we start the short week. Number one, Hurricane Dorian, which has slowed to a Category 3, has parked itself over the northwestern Bahamas since Sunday night. It's unleashed a nightmare 24-plus-hour siege of devastating storm surge, destructive winds, and blinding rain. At least five are dead on the Bahamas, though the number's probably far higher. With Dorian perched perilously close to the Florida Peninsula, this morning has become the critical time that's likely to determine whether the state has dealt a powerful blow or a less intense scrape. Just tens of miles and subtle storm wobbles could make the difference between those two scenarios. If it soon starts to turn north, Florida would be spared Dorian's full fury. But if Dorian lumbers just a little bit to the west, much more serious storm effects would pummel parts of the coastline. These small differences in the track forecast will have similar implications farther north in Georgia and the Carolinas. In a bulletin that went out just after 2 a.m. this morning, the National Hurricane Center says that Dorian will move, quote, dangerously close to the Florida East Coast late Tuesday through Wednesday evening. Then it will move up toward North Carolina by late Thursday. For this reason, the Hurricane Center has issued hurricane storm surge and tropical storm watches and warnings basically for the entire Atlantic coast. Serious storm effects are likely in coastal Georgia and the Carolinas in the middle and latter half of the week. But even if Dorian turns north and spares Florida, they get the scrape scenario, it will still deliver damaging winds and produce storm surges that could flood low-lying areas across vast portions of the eastern seaboard. Number two, tragic news on the west coast as well. At least 25 people are now confirmed dead and nine others remain missing after a boat fire yesterday morning off an island in Southern California. It was the last night of a Labor Day weekend dive trip to the idyllic Channel Islands, a pristine national park. Anchored in a harbor just 20 yards from the shore of Santa Cruz Island, three of the 33 guests aboard had celebrated their birthdays at dinner that night. A crew member went to bed late after doing the dishes. He woke up just a few hours later to the sound of a pop in the dark, thinking someone was up and stumbling around. Instead, he opened a door to find the ship around him bathed in an intense orange glow, completely aflame. There was a fire burning uncontrollably in the galley of the 75-foot boat called Conception, just after 3 a.m. The boat was filled with divers on a private excursion and the tanks of air that they used to explore the depths. The guests, sleeping tightly packed in stacks of bunk beds below, were all trapped Five of the crew members were able to escape into the waters near the shore, but authorities fear the rest were lost. After burning, the boat sank in about 65 feet of water, its bow, bow exposed above the water. Conception is one of three dive boats operated by a company called Truth Aquatics. It's 45 years old. It's based in Santa Barbara. It has a sterling reputation among the local diving community. Coast Guard officials say they believe the ship was in compliance with all regulations and didn't have any violations of note. The diving tanks, usually filled with compressed air or a nitrogen-oxygen mix known as nitrox, might have fueled the fire. And a witness told my colleague Scott Wilson, who is based in Santa Barbara for us, that she heard and saw the explosive bursts each time a tank exploded on the boat. Terrible news. Number three, the gunman who killed seven people and injured 23 others during a shooting rampage on the highway in western Texas on Sunday had been fired from his job earlier that day. 
Authorities said yesterday that Seth Aaron Ator, 36, had contacted the police and the FBI after he was let go from his job at Journey Oilfield Services. He and his employer both separately called the Odessa, Texas Police Department that morning. When officers arrived at the company's office, Ator had left. Officers say Ator didn't make any specific threats of violence. But then later in the day, he left a rambling statement on an FBI-recorded tip line, but he apparently didn't make a specific threat. That's according to an FBI special agent who spoke at a news conference yesterday afternoon. But then just 15 minutes after the rambling call to the FBI, state troopers with the Texas Department of Public Safety stopped Ator, not because of the call or because they were looking for him, but because he failed to signal a turn on the highway. Once he was pulled over, Ator opened fire on the troopers with an AR-15 military-style rifle. He fired through the rear window of his vehicle and got in a firefight with cops before leaving the scene. Authorities say that he was a convicted criminal who shouldn't have been able to have the gun at all. And that's The Daily 202 for Tuesday, September 3rd. Thanks for listening. Also, thanks to Felicia Sonmez, Colby Ickowitz, and Allison Michaels for guest hosting last week. It's good to be back from vacation, though I do wish I had some happier news to share. Hopefully tomorrow brings a brighter report. Have a great day, and if you're in the Southeast, stay safe.